You, you may have seen the emblem that we had up here. Uh, the cross equals heart, or the cross equals love. Natalie and I were talking last week as we were looking for an illustration to kind of open up just the significance of the cross. And, uh, and so we, we came across an idea of somebody that's really helpful and they uh, go down uh, the lane to your, your mailbox and they bring the mail to you. And you say, thank you for delivering the mail. And, uh, and you notice that one of the uh, packages that you have there is your, is your uh, battery of, of uh, coupons for your mortgage. How many of you ever had that? You buy a new house and they give you like uh, 360 equal payments, you know. And, and so you say, well, thank you for, you know, bringing that here. It's, it's helpful. If I'm going to pay my mortgage, it's helpful to have some means whereby I can track it. Uh, that's okay. That, that's nice. What's really groovy is someone comes and they don't bring the mail. They bring a receipt where they had gone to the mortgage company and paid your mortgage in full. How many of you know that, that on that day you're probably willing to pay for the pizza and, and, and have just a great time? Well, when we look at, at church history and, and uh, the Bible, we realize that God had assigned Moses, the lawgiver, to deliver the mail. Moses actually presented an invoice to mankind in saying, hey, you're already messed up, but let me just define some notable ways that you're killing yourself. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not uh, commit adultery. And so we look at, at the Ten Commandments, and they're all uh, primarily prohibitions. Don't have other gods before the living God. And so it was like that Moses showed up with the invoice and all of a sudden, you know, in the fullness of time, Jesus was born under the law, born of a woman, sent to precisely come at the right day to be born and at the right day to lay his life down to pay the bill that was served up by Moses. Now, I want you to catch the sense of drama about the cross and why Christians get amazingly hyper on Easter. Oh, and incidentally, the Easter bunny thing is kind of fun too, okay? I'm going to confess my wife's faults one to another that I can be healed. She, she had, I think, 13 Easter baskets uh, ready. I've got grown children that make more money than me getting Easter baskets, okay? <laughs> and, and, you know, there's nothing overtly Christian about Easter baskets, but if someone stops giving you an Easter basket, it's definitely a sin. So, 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 so this morning, you know, we, we, we're on our way to church, and so we're bringing Easter baskets for uh, Natalie and Riley and, and Gino and Allie and, 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 and Percy and George, they got their Easter basket, and uh, you know, if you want an Easter basket, just move into our place, even if it's only three days before Easter, because Kim will get you an Easter basket. <laughs> but we, we love the holiday aspect. It's, it's great to uh, be able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but you have to catch the drama of what really was going on and what, what the cross and the resurrection represents. You see, Jesus took on 
the sins of the whole world. And so we see in the prayer of Gethsemane, Jesus was not a fearful person. Uh, there were a number of people in the Bible that they could take a beating. Paul had multiple whippings, times that he was shipwrecked, uh, in jail, in prison, stoned to death, gets up from, raised up by prayer, goes back in and finishes his sermon. So Jesus was not fearful about the pain of the cross. I think Mel Gibson did a great job in The Passion of the Christ to show the intense agony physically of what Jesus went through. But the biggest yucky thing that Jesus had to face was to become the sin bearer and have all of humanity's sins. I, I hate to break it to you, but you can only accomplish so many sins in your life. But Jesus had all of those and everyone else's sins put on him at one time. And he knew that's what agreeing to go to the cross was. And for three times, Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, said, um, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And on the third time, he had great peace. He had prayed with such agony that the Bible said he had sweat as it were great drops of blood and the angels came and held him up. Deep agony of heart. Because in order for Jesus to be the sin bearer, God had to forsake him. He had to be left as the most forsaken human would ever be forsaken. And so our Lord agreed. And within a few hours, then he was taken away. And you never see him waffle. You never see him do anything, but just he stayed right on script. When Pilate said, don't you know I, ha I have the power to release you? He said, you only have the power that's given the responsibility for my crucifixion is at a higher level than you. His father was sending him to the cross. And so what the gamble was, was that it would take a sinless lamb, which is to say a sinless replacement for mankind. Man had sinned and it would take a perfect human who had lived perfectly without sin to bear uh, the, the, the sin of the world and his blood was pure and could wash it away. So when Jesus said, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and dismissed his own soul from his body by saying it's finished and giving up the ghost or the spirit, that there was a big risk that he was going to go into hell now as the most sinful being in the world, but yet as also as the innocent lamb. The resurrection is the receipt that, that every, every entity, whether demonic, satanic, or angelic, and Father God says this, <clears throat> paid in full. Yeah. Paid in full. Yeah. So that you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, what we're, what we're doing is we're not trotting up our relative goodness. I'm not that bad, bad of a guy. You ought to see the guy down the street. How many of you know there's always somebody that you can look to that's a little lower? You know? Now, if you're the, the guy on the really, really bottom of the heap, you're probably glad to hear this message. Woo, there's hope for me. 
But many people will enter into eternity and will never actually apply the proper payment. They'll use the wrong currency. And they'll use relative morality. Well, you know, I know that, that I, I make my mistakes, but at least I'm not Charles Manson, or at least I'm not Ted Bundy, or at least I'm not like the lady that drowned her four kids in the lake near Eugene years ago. You see, relative morality is not how this thing works. It's all or nothing. It took a completely innocent man to take away the sins of the world. And it takes us with a complete surrender that says this, that I can't just scrub on this huge stain. I'm scrubbing with a little, you know, uh, a sponge and cleanser trying to take away. There's only one solvent that can take away the, the, the stain of sin out of, out of our lives, and it's the blood of Jesus. And so that was the gamble that Jesus took. That's the gamble that basically we were all a part of that game, whether we knew it or not. Had Jesus not raised from the dead, then we wouldn't have the faith to know that as he rose from the dead, someday we too will, will either meet him coming again, Jesus is going to bodily return, we'll either see him uh, pierce that eastern sky and we'll see him and behold him coming or we'll go through the veil of death and we'll be raised again so that in our flesh once again we will see Christ and we will be able to live with him forever if we actually choose and put our faith in him so that's why this is such a hyper day Okay, so yes, I do like chocolate. Yes, if, if, if the Lord laid on you next year to get me like a big giant Reese's peanut butter cup uh, bunny, I know that the Holy Ghost is all over that. I feel it. I feel really good about that. But, but you know, it, it, there's more than just, you know, dressing up nice, maybe having an Easter egg hunt, maybe uh, some ham or, or something with the family for dinner. It's also that time where we remember, wow, we were busted without hope in this life and in the life to come. And Jesus, through his own blood, shed, uh, paid for our sins, and as, as a receipt of that payment, he rose from the dead. Okay, so it, I, I don't know about you, but what it does for me, it makes me walk a little bit more humble, you know. You know, you, 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 I, I talk to myself, you ain't all that in a bag of chips, Fritz. Just keep humble. You need a Savior. How many of you know we needed one? We need one, and for eternity, he'll always be the man. Behold the man, Christ Jesus, that took away the sins of the world. Now, uh, a couple of really powerful things to embrace is, what does the cross mean to you? Uh, I remember back in the 80s, different of the rock star gals like uh, Madonna, and, uh, and she's still around, isn't she? She's 107 and still performing. And, uh, you know, <laughs> her and Tony Bennett, you know, <laughs> and Lady Gaga, you know. Um, but anyway, so I remember Cindy Lauper and different ones, they had the upside down crosses. It was real popular in the, in, the, in, the, in the rock groups to have the cross as a decoration. You know, could, could you imagine having earrings that were a guillotine? <laughs> so the cross has become kind of art, but yet it was never meant to be art because the cross represented torture. 
It, it, was, it was specially designed by the Romans who had a great gift at creating ways to make people's lives miserable. And the cross was such that it would typically take you about three plus days to die on the cross. It was a, it was a suffocation uh, process and generally they would tie people's uh, with ropes, their, their uh, hands, hands to the cross, and then they would tie their feet on a small platform, and a person would, would be leaning against this, <laughs> and they would thrust forward, and their breathing would get really shallow, and all kinds of terrible things would happen, and they would oftentimes lose their, their mind and begin to curse and shriek and, and curse the gods and curse the, uh, the, the guards and, and, and their tormentors and just go nuts. And so people used to go to observe people on the cross uh, for some kind of sick fun. And, and, and so what, what does the cross mean to you? Is it simply decoration? Is it simply a mythological uh, thought that Christians have that Jesus was on a cross and he died and rose again? Or was it something that, that was historical? And it's historically proven that the crosses were, were, were used throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, the word excruciating pain in Latin, divided up ex cruce from out of the cross. Excruciating pain is specifically the most dreadful pain you can have. It's like having shingles. <laughs> it's, it's excruciating pain. You know, uh, people that, that battle through shingles, they say that's one of the most excruciating pains. Uh, different ones of us at different times have had excruciating pain. And, and so the cross was, excru was very excruciating. And, and so what, what did that mean to you? What does it mean to you? What do you think of when you think of the cross? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. How many of you believe that the power of God in your life is available through the cross? Amen. Okay, it's, wow, I thought there were more Christians in the group here. How many of you know that the cross is the power of God to those that believe, right? And the message of the cross. Okay, okay. Don't overdo it now. It looks hypocritical. Okay. Uh, Billy Graham said this, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. And so for people that are in the world, they go, Wow. It, it doesn't mean anything. It can be used as a decoration. Uh, you know, I do cross-track or I do training, you know, cross-platform training, whatever. But to us, when we hear about the cross of Jesus, it warms our heart because of the power and what it means to us. The cross equals love, and the resurrection means living hope. That's really a lot of the focus is we want you to understand you can live because of the love of God shown through the cross, but the resurrection is that stamp that based on the righteousness of Jesus, you get all the bonus package of all the benefits of the kingdom of God. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in optimism. You can get divine guidance. You can see that whereas maybe you had deep personality conflicts and never could get along with anybody, and all of a sudden you find out that, that all that angst and anxiety that made you difficult begins to disappear, and people are starting to say, uh, I don't know how to say this, but 
You were the artist formerly known as a jerk, and you're really sweet now. How many of you say that's a good benefit of the cross, is just to be able to get along? And so, so, the, so uh, the resurrection is God's stamp to say, hey, you have a living hope. The cross equals love. John 3, 16 and 17, those famous verses that so many people have heard these verses, but we want to break them down a little bit and, 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 and dial into them a little bit more deeply. For this is how God loved the world. You want to know how God loved the world? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have, ever, but have eternal life. Now, I want to back up a little bit because uh, I have uh, three sons, some son-in-laws now, or one son-in-law, not more. Natalie's only got one husband. Okay, <laughs> one son-in-law. Uh, I'm kind of like stingy. Um, I, don't, I don't want to give anybody away to lay their life down. I'm more of the kind, hey, let's, 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 let's cut the hero thing, let's have some dinner, maybe play some cards, call it an evening. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the son of God, Jesus Christ. So that's a huge thing for Father God to do, to send Jesus it was beautiful that Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, the Word, was willing to go and incarnate in Jesus and live this out. But it says here, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I talk to lots of people. Most people in the earth have a sense of things wrapping up in the earth. Right now, there's a huge, uh, huge move in Islam. They feel like it's, uh, there's some uh, great advent coming and where the world turns uh, Islamic. And, and so many people are willing to go into jihad and blow people up to make this thing happen. Christians are anticipating the second coming uh, of, of Jesus Christ. There are people who think that we're, we're going to just go into like a, a global meltdown, ice age, or global warming, or this or that. Everybody has this sense that, that things are not perfect. Has anybody looked around and said, you know, things aren't really perfect? If you look at society and say it's perfect, whoa, you grew up in a rough neighborhood. <laughs> things aren't perfect. What I try to tell people is you're not crazy if, if that's your awareness. D don't, don't just blind yourself and say, no, no, no. If I just psych myself up and say everything's fine, it will be. That's not the way it works. You need an actual uh, currency to, to plug into, uh, like, like electrical current. You need something that actually takes that reality of perishing and brings it into a more positive outcome. And so this scripture does that directly. It says that God loved the world. He gave his only, one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. What's the implication? If he gave the son so that people will not perish, then without the son, you will perish. I've, I've had some great conversations recently with people. Uh, I'm, I'm 64 years old, so uh, if I live to be 84 or 90, already, I've already spent three quarters of my generational coupon, okay? 
Uh, so, you know, do the, the, the math roughly from 60 to 80, three quarters. So that means that, that, that if I have stacks of money or, or I'm really popular or everybody thinks I'm wonderful or I produce music that's sung all over the world and whatever, I still am on a dead run to the grave. And I don't believe this life is the real life. It's too darn short. It, it's got to be the practice life. And I think that's what the Bible teaches. That, that, that what you're given, you're given the ability, we were all made out of one, uh, one uh, uh, ancestor, Adam, and we, we've uh, mutated into different uh, racial characteristics, uh, uh, mongoloid, caucasoid, negroid, and all that, we all are aware of that, which is ridiculous, all the craziness that goes over the racism junk. It's silly, but, but Paul said we were made from one blood to reach for God and grope for him, though he's not far from any one of us. We're given breath in this life so that we can connect with eternal life because eternal life means this. When you pass from mortality into immortality by faith in Jesus Christ, that means the ticker hasn't started. That in, in 10,000 years, your ticker still hasn't started. And one of the most dreadful things is if God created every baby born on this planet to know him and to come to a saving knowledge of him, what a tragedy it would be. To, to, to die intestate, to die without meeting the reason you were put on the earth. You were made to come to know your daddy. You were created that you might come into a living relationship and that you would pass from the sense of perishing to, hey, this is the only hell I'll ever know. And for some people, this is the only heaven they'll ever know. For believers, this is the worst it'll ever be. It'll only be better over yonder. And I've got too much invested over there. Too many people that I've loved and said goodbye, but I know, like that, that, that video, it's only goodbye for a short time. And, 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 and when I cross over and, and, and through faith in Jesus, I do not experience perishing. But then I get to look at my mom, my dad, and people that I've loved. And they say, we've been waiting for you. Welcome. The Bible says that God's going to greet his believers with well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into pleasures forevermore. I want to tell you something. All the hustle and the rat race that we do down here, it's ridiculous when you understand real value. Trust me, guys, this is only the warm-up life. The real one, or the real death, is what's ahead. And so, Jesus is the one that, that wrote John 3.16. <laughs> it's him speaking. And he said this, he said, that God's purpose in sending the Son was that you wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There are consequences of sin that even if someone's not judging you, you're still going to hit a brick wall. Think about it. Think about if, if, if I'm a smart aleck and I'm going to go uh, par parachuting. And so uh, they tell me, okay, you need to be really careful in, in your pack. Make sure your parachute is really good to come out. And all of a sudden, I, I'm a smart aleck and I, and I short uh, cut it. 
And so I leap out up over Rogue Valley and I'm uh, about 3,000 or 4,000 feet in elevation and, 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 and I take a leap or even better yet, eight or 9,000 feet in elevation. But, but it dawns on me that I packed my chute wrong and, and I'm frantically trying to pull and I'm trying to manipulate it. I can have repentance. <laughs> I can think, boy, I was stupid the way I did this, but I still will pay the consequences. And so that's the way it is with sin. That's why we need extra help. Because we can, you know, what, what, what Jesus is saying is, God's not the one that's really looking over the fence and wanting to zap you. That'd be the easiest thing to do. What he sees is that your consequences are you're plummeting to the earth. And he's provided a parachute. So that, that you don't have to perish, but you can have everlasting life. And so that's why we look at the cross. The cross equals the love of God. There were some people that were at the cross, and, and one guy that, that uh, kind of fled a little bit from the cross. But, but the centurion, this hardened Roman leader that stood there, and, and he had seen people die, these, the cruel death of the cross, but he was never moved by anyone like he was with Jesus because he looked at him and he saw that, that Jesus didn't, didn't curse, he didn't revile, he didn't, he didn't cry out and plead for himself, but he was simply as a lamb to the slaughter. He was bearing his, his, his punishment and this torment. And then finally, you know, he cries out, Eli, Eli, Lamech Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the very nature of God lifted out of Jesus, and he was now the most sinful man in the universe. He had all of our sins on him. But he still didn't quit. And he cried out, it's finished. It's done. And then the Bible said, he, Jesus. Jesus didn't die from the cross. Jesus died at the cross. He laid his life down and said, it's finished. And he died, you know, within just hours instead of three full days. And this centurion goes, whoa, truly this is the son of God. Think about this man. He probably had been a part of a lot of Roman behavior. They were big on orgies, drunkenness, violence. Um, they weren't always real just. He was trained to be a killer. He rose to be a centurion because he could do that well. And all of a sudden, he's moved by probably a slight-built Jewish guy that showed him a power he had never seen, the power of self-control, the power of perfect love. He must have heard Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And he personally said, no, it's me and my crew crucifying him. And yet he was finding mercy at the foot of the cross. The Roman legions got so touched by Christianity. I learned this with Gino and I were in Bath, England, Bath. And we went to the Roman baths that were when the Romans occupied part of southern England they, they had put in baths in this uh, steam area uh, in southern uh, England. And uh, the Romans used to toss coins into the, into the fountain. 
a celebration of their pagan gods. And the British historians had written a plaque and said, it's obvious by the years and, the, and, and the, the, the diminishing of the coins being thrown in that Christianity had taken deep hold in the Roman legions. Wow. Let me tell you something. <laughs> the love of God can melt armies away. <laughs> this guy was stereotypical bad guy touched by the cross. Peter was a guy trying to do good. And he was that guy that was always either completely right or completely wrong. Who do men say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good job, Peter. Peter was the one that then, in a few verses later, said, you won't go to the cross. And he, and he called him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So Peter went from being the, the guy with the right answer to Satan frequently. And so when it, down, it came down to the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, at the Last Supper, Peter tells him, said, you know, even though these other schleps, you know, uh, may not stick with you, I'll never, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll stay with you. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you <laughs> that your strength not fail. And when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. And then he told him, he said that tonight you will betray me three times before the rooster crows twice. And it happened. Peter was warming himself by the fire. They kept asking him, aren't you a Galilean, your, your, your accent? And he cursed and he betrayed Jesus. And when that rooster crowed the second time, Jesus looked at him and the Bible said in Greek, he began to weep. And that tense in Greek says, weeps. He was broken. He was shattered. Great ideals, poor performance. And Jesus had no problem with him either. And so we don't have time to read the, the, the verse, but when, one of the, when, when, when the Bible said that Jesus rose from the grave, they said, go tell his disciples and Peter. I want Peter here to upbraid him know, to love on him. And it was Peter that began to be the one that God had said, you're going to open the door. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And it was Peter that preached the message that opened up the kingdom to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And it was Peter in Roman or Acts, what, eight or nine, that opened up the door to the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, Acts nine. Peter, the failure. What do you think those two guys felt about the cross? Well, I can tell you what Peter did. Many, many years later in the, in the city of Rome, they said, we're going to crucify you. He said, yeah, I, I understand that. I only have one request. If you crucify me, could you do it upside down? I'm not worthy to be upright like my Lord. And that's how Peter was crucified, upside down. Wow. Go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. Wow. I think every one of us have the cross issue in our heart. Some people, they look at the cross and, like Pilate, let's, we'll discuss it later. 
how many know certain things need to be dealt with quickly? I mean, think of it. <laughs> Without using scare tactics, we had a friend of mine, he had a 34-year-old, handsome, healthy son-in-law. They're on vacation in Southern California, and he just had a stroke. Here's the pastor's, pastor's daughter who's married to him, man of good reputation, 34 years old, and the family are lamenting. The wife got up at the, at the home going, and she said, if I knew that I would lose him, I would do it again. We have that hope in Jesus. We have that hope. But there's a couple of things I want you to wrap your mind around. One is, you're not guaranteed. Well, you know, my doctor says I'm in great health. There were a lot of people in great health up in the towers, the Twin Towers, 9-11. This kid was in great health when he had a stroke. last couple of years we buried too many good friends that died way too young I want to tell you something today's a good day to look at the cross what does it mean to me well I think I'm in honor of Jesus I'll get some cross earrings that's not enough Jesus said if you believe in the cross you believe in laying your life down he said, then I'm going to ask you to take up your cross. What's taking up the cross as a Christian? It just means that every day, for his sake, I'm willing to die. I live at the pleasure of the king because I know that the only hell that I'll ever see is here. But if I choose to live only for myself, the only heaven I'll ever see is here. Another verse, 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. I'm a little bit out of the order of the outline, but that just shows I'm a pastor. We can't count well. We go from one, two, three, seven, back to four, up to 12. Jesus said this, he said, I'll forgive you of all your sins. You got to forgive everybody else though. And this is, by this will all men know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Because like Jesus, you let undeserving people in your world. You don't just angrily look at everybody as an enemy. You, you begin to risk and you care for people. You love as you have been loved. Yeah, Peter did have something to say about the cross. 1 Peter 1.3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The cross equals God's love. The resurrection equals our living hope. I'd like to end with a quote from Charles Swindoll. 
He said, the devil, darkness, and death may swagger and boast. The pangs of life will sting for a while longer, but don't worry. The forces of evil are breathing their last. Not to worry, he's risen. I'd like everyone to just, if you would take a moment for reflection, just close your eyes, bow your head. Week after week, we give people an opportunity to, to join God. I've gone out with people that I've taken them to dinner and, and I realized that it's important that I pay the tip, that I would actually put a financial burden on this person if, if, if I bought them a nice meal and then all of a sudden and they've got to p- pony up a big tip. So a lot of times when I take people out, I say, no, 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 if, if we bless, we want to really bless. We want to pay for your food and the tip. And you know, that's the way God is when he takes us to dinner. We can't afford the tip, much less the price of the meal. And the pride of man wants to say, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. But the Bible teaches that God is absolutely perfect. And only by receiving the perfection of Christ can our sins be washed away. If we're going to partly pay for our salvation, we get the whole bill. And that means you cannot wash it away. You're hopeless in life. And so coming to God, you must realize that there's no pride in coming to him. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to be like that person coming out of addiction that said, I'm an addict and I'm helpless right now to help myself. I surrender. When I, when I came to Jesus, I felt so weak. I knew that there was nothing, even as a church kid, that I could do to earn salvation. I had to come in with my hands up, God, I'm a sinner. I need help. I need forgiveness. The Lord has done the heavy lifting. Jesus went to the cross. He paid for your sins and he rose again. The one thing that he can't do for you, he can't believe for you. You must believe and the Bible said you must call. So what we do week after week, we just have people join God and say, I want to call on the Lord. I need help. I need a brand new life. I don't need a makeover. I need a new life. I need to be born again. I need to have this eternal life be my life. And we generally do that by just raising your hand. Those that say, hey, I want in. Then we do a prayer together. Because the promise of God is, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow, well, what about all the fancy stuff? Shouldn't I take a catechism for two years? Nope, you just got to know that you're messed up. You, there, you, you would die intestate, which means if you die without calling on Jesus, boom, you don't get eternal life. You experience perishing like you could never imagine. I don't want to die in test eight. I want the testimony be, 
He called on God. He needed God. The Bible said, if you call on his name, you will be saved. If you call on his name, you will not be ashamed. And so that's what we're going to do. I'd like everyone here that would say, you know, pastor, maybe, maybe you haven't walked with God. Maybe you called on Jesus years ago. We're, we're, we don't want to fight over, you know, interpretations. But if I'm out of compliance and I know I'm kind of not living the way I should, I, I, I just want to get washed by the blood of Jesus. I want to just get completely under that cleansing shower. I'd like every one of you that came in this place and, and say, Pastor, I want in. I want Jesus to be my God. I want him to wash away my sin. I want to have the love and the living hope work in my life. Raise your hand right now so I can get an idea how many are here. Okay, come on now. I see a hand here. Come on, where are we? Where are we? See some hands in the back. Okay. Some guys back here, guys here, people all over the building are starting to raise your hand. Get, get, get your hands up, all of you, together again, because it's a powerful thing we're doing. It's a powerful thing we're doing. It's nothing to be ashamed of, man. I'm ashamed of a lot of things I've done, but not calling on Jesus. Come on, let's give these guys a hand. We're going to make a, a prayer to the Lord. How many of you think this is good business on Resurrection Sunday to bring people into prayer of faith? You guys and gals that raised your hand, I love you. I'm so proud of you today. Wow, wow, beautiful. The Bible said that when, when, when a sinner, which is any of us that don't know the Lord, when they come home, it said all the angels of heaven rejoice. <laughs> what a party they're having today, huh? Uh, could we all pray this prayer? Dear Father, I thank you for that incredible love that you showed to us by sending Jesus. Today, Lord, I want his payment to be applied to something very practical. Dear God, I know that I'm a dead man walking, a dead person walking. I need your life. I do not trust myself. I do not trust better behavior. But I call on the name of the Lord. You said if I call on the name of the Lord, I would be saved. Save me, Lord. You also said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall not be ashamed. Take away the shame from my life. I need you, God. And I love you. And I feel your love for me. If you'll be my God, I'll, I'll be your servant. If you'll be my father, I'll be your child. I receive you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.